right, come with me in, the, in your Bibles to, oh gosh, it's all good. Come with me to the book of Jeremiah. Let's go to Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 1. Sometimes you've got to pick a book. It's all good. Jeremiah chapter 1. Bump the person next to you and say it's going to be good. I'm going to continue on the, uh, I do feel this is the last one on this particular theme of identity, awaken identity. But, um, you know, who knows? I've, I've got a whole awaken series that I've been wanting to get into, but I've been stuck on identity. And so let's just take a moment to pray that I actually get through it today because I kind of keep feeling like God gives me the assignment and don't quite deliver. And he goes, okay, back, you got to go back and start all over again. So, Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this word this morning. Speak through your servant, Father, that this would be a word in season. This would revolutionize. This would, this would uh, absolutely terrorize the devil, the kingdom of darkness. It would shatter the chains, the strongholds, the, 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 the bindings, the limitations, the ceilings that you set over your sons and daughters to, to keep them bound, to keep them small, to keep them from realizing who they are and who whose they are, who they are in you, Father God, and who you are in them. Father, I pray today that there would be a revelation of your identity, your purpose, and your character in their lives. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. amen. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4. Yell out when you're there. Jeremiah is in the Old Testament. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Jeremiah. All right, Jeremiah, you're all there. 1, verse 4 says, Then the word of the Lord came to me, this is Jeremiah saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. And I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Let me read that one more time. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Let me just go on to verse 6. Verse 6 says, Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am a youth, for you shall go to all whom I send you to, and whatever I command you, that you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to root out, to pull down, to destroy, to throw down, to build and to plant. Amen. I like that. I like that passage of Scripture. There are three things I want to I focus on, and then we'll use that as a launching pad. In verse 5, it says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. The three things I, I want to draw your attention to is, number one, uh, you need to understand that existence precedes conception. Existence precedes conception. God says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. We live in an age where one of the raging debates is on 
on, on abortion, on is it a life, is it not a life? But here the Scripture makes the, the God position, makes the Christian position, makes the biblical position very, very clear. God says, before I formed you in the womb, I already knew you. I knew you because existence precedes conception. God, know you, God knows you. Can, can I just tell you? Can I just tell you if you study history, which I want to encourage you to do because you will find that tragically humanity, humankind, human history tells us that if there's one thing that we fail to do, it's, it's that we fail to learn from history. The mistakes that we're making in our generation have been made in a previous generation. The mistakes of our, of our century were made in previous centuries. You'll find that if you study, and there's a, a great book um, written called The Fourth Turning, written by two Harvard scholars, and, uh, and th- they basically wrote the book in 1999 predicting predicting that some great catastrophic event would come that would change the way that we live in the 21st century and basically it would be something to do with terrorism. If you read it, 9-11 was basically a fulfillment of the prophecy. And these guys are not prophets, you know, even though the, the, the book opens with the Scripture and finishes with the Scripture, that they're, they're Harvard University history professors. And they just say that studying the last 6,000 years of human history, studying every century, they notice the distinct patterns in human behavior. And, and so, so, that they, they, so where we are today, don't think that this is brand new. The, the world, the devil will try and pull the, the wool over your eyes to make you believe that you're an enlightened generation, that somehow we are beyond where, where other people are. But I'm telling you, we make the same mistakes. There was a time where there was an assault uh, uh, again on the womb, again on children. And it was at the time of Moses. It was at the time when God was sending a, forth a deliverer to deliver a generation of Israelites out of bondage, 10 generations of slavery. But this generation was going to be the recipient of of deliverance and freedom and so pharaoh who is a who is a type of devil rises up and he makes sure to destroy from the womb to destroy all the, all the young but one one seed got through one little guy got through by the name of Moses and he plundered Egypt and he brought forth almost a million Israelites out of bondage and slavery the next time fast forward is at the time of Christ when the true deliverer when the true rescuer when the true redeemer when the true savior was coming Jesus Christ again King Herod when he hears that he is he is threatened by the fact that Someone was going to come and, and this with this great power and great authority to deliver people out of bondage. He again goes on an assault, a nationwide assault that every child under the age of three is slaughtered in front of their parents. And the Bible says there was such a cry, there was such a weeping in that generation that Rachel had no more voice left within her, crying for her descendants, crying for her children, for they are no more. Fast forward that now to the 20th and 21st century where we have been able to go into the world The womb was created to be a place of protection. It was a place that that the child should be safe, but we, with our technology, have figured out a way to even penetrate this safe environment and destroy life in there. Can I just tell you, I believe it's because there is a generation rising up that the devil knows he is threatened by. There is a generation of deliverers. There is a generation of sons and daughters that will prophesy. There's a generation coming forth that are going to plunder the kingdom of darkness, that are going to plunder 
under hell and populate heaven. And so we have never, but I'm telling you this, the Bible teaches that, that, um, that existence precedes conception. The second thing I want to draw your attention to from this, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. And I ordained you a prophet to the nation. The second thing is that purpose precedes birth. Purpose precedes birth. Everyone say identity. Can I just tell you, God has a purpose for your life. God has a purpose. You were created for a purpose. Now you may say, well, you know, I'm the result of, you know, a one night stand. I'm a result of, you know, some passion that happened X amount of years ago. But can I tell you that it's not how you came into the world. It's not how you arrived that determines the level of importance of you being here. Jesus was born in a stable. They laid him, they laid him in a feeding trough for animals. They wrapped him in, it's, it's, not, it's not how you arrive. Don't ever look at the inn. Don't ever look at the feeding trough. Don't ever look at the barn and say, well, this kid can't be too important. He can't have a great assignment. He can't have a great mission. Look at how, it's not how you come into the world. I don't think you're hearing me this morning. I said, it's not how you come into the world. I believe that Jesus was born in a stable to make a statement. It's not how you arrive. You may have arrived from a one-night stand. You may have arrived through a test tube experiment. I'm not sure how you came here. But can I just tell you that purpose precedes birth, that God has a purpose. God knew that you were going to be here. Do you realize there's nobody else like you on this planet? Nobody else has the same fingerprints. Nobody else has the same retina scan. Nobody else. I'm telling you, there is a God, divine, ordained purpose for your life, that you are you have an assignment. You have a mission. You have an objective. There are gifts and talents and skill sets and abilities on the inside of you. God put him in there not just to make money. Now, you are meant to make money. You are meant to use your skills, your talents, your abilities absolutely to bring a harvest from the earth to resource your life, to resource the dream, to resource the vision, to resource your family. To re- Absolutely. The Bible says a good man. Leaves an inheritance for his children's children. How many people like me had to start all over again? Most, most people had to start all over again. We lost everything. Our parents squandered everything. And I find that I come into the world and I've got to start all over again. My dad had to start. His father was an abusive alcoholic. Gave him nothing. So he had to start again. For me, I had to start again. But you know what? I'm determined that that, that cycle finishes with me. The, when the Bible says in Proverbs 13, 22, that a good man leaves an inheritance, not just for his children, but for his children's children. You know what? That tells me that I need to go after some finance. I need to use my skill sets. I need to use my abilities. I need to use the gifts, the talents that God has put on the inside of me to bring forth a harvest that I can lay it up for not just my children, but my children's children. Somebody say amen. Amen. I just want to give you permission to prosper. I know that that's not popular preaching, but I didn't come here to be popular. I was already popular down under. If I wanted popularity, I would have stayed there. You know, oh my gosh. Well, you know, you know, I I just believe that, you know, that, that Joel Osteen. God just wants you blessed. I just believe that's real shallow. Can can I just tell you, it ain't shallow. God wants you to flourish. God wants you to prosper. God wants you to increase. 
God wants you to. He did not put the, the resources in the earth for the wicked. He didn't put the resources in the earth for, 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 for the devil to use, for the unrighteous to use, so that more unrighteousness. He put the resources in the earth so that his covenants could be established in the earth. Can I just encourage you? Go for it. Can I just encourage you? Step out. Can I just encourage you? Go out there and get a harvest. A good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. Go after it. Go and get your son, not just for you, not just for enough for your needs, but leave something for the next generation and leave something for their generation. Can somebody say amen? But can I just tell you, don't limit it to that. Don't limit it, your gifts, talents, and abilities just for, for a, a financial harvest. From it. You were created to use your skill sets, your genius, your abilities, your strengths to, to do something more than just bring out a financial harvest. You were created to carry on your back a purpose. You were created to carry on your back a divine assignment, something that will outlast houses, something that will outlast cars, something that will outlast possessions. You were created to carry something in God, from God, for God, something that will shift eternity, something that will bring people out of hell and into heaven. You were created by God, for God, to carry something that will revolutionize a generation. I look at a Michael Coe and I think, what an extraordinary young man. What an extraordinary young man. The Steven Spielberg of our church. His gifts, his talents and abilities. But I'm telling you, this, the, the, you know, he's only just beginning to scratch the surface of what God has put on the inside of him. It doesn't matter how he came into the world. How many people know that God had a plan? God had a purpose for his life. God has got a destiny for his life. And God is shaping him and molding him and, and using his skill sets and using his talents and using his abilities. Not just, not just so he can you know, live financially and, 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 and you know, one day get married and have a family of his own and raise up little Michael Coe Juniors that are also little Spielberg-esque brilliant people. But, in, but also to use his skill sets to shift a generation, to pull a generation out of darkness whether you realize this or not, we are at war with the devil. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Some people can say, well, Jesus, I just think you're a little bit paranoid. Come on, do you really have to? No, no, Jesus is not being paranoid. He's being realistic. We, you and I are engaged in warfare. There is a devil and he is doing everything he can to destroy a generation. He knows he's going to hell. Can I just tell you that God did not create hell for human habitation. The Bible says in Matthew 25 that God created hell for the devil and for his angels. It was never intended for human habitation. In fact, God doesn't send anybody to hell. We send ourselves there. God doesn't send anybody to hell. We send ourselves there. Let me explain. Many years ago when Pastor Leanne and I were living in New Zealand, one of the best beaches in Auckland is, is called Piha. And it's on the West Coast and all the, all the low pressure systems that miss the, the East Coast of Australia bombard the West Coast. On the West Coast of New Zealand, you wait for the surf to die down to paddle out. Usually it's like, you know, three or four meters. It's usually like 12 to 15 feet, uh, you know, waves, tw you know, 20 foot faces, 15 from the back. Uh, and then you've got to wait for it to die down to paddle out. And, and the waves are right on top of each other. It's, you know, it's 10 to 12 waves a set, whereas maybe over here you might have four to six waves a set. And so I remember we'd turn up to, to Piha and in the summer, you know, a lot of the a lot of the Maori people they 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 enjoy 
drinking beer and going to the beach. Now, if you're getting in, intoxicated and there's really strong rip currents and big surf, how many people know? It, it's And so so you see the surf rescue boat literally doing this. I'd never seen the surf rescue boat so busy. It's literally going out, rescuing people, bringing them in, going out, rescuing people. Well, I'll never forget this one time we were out there and the, the waves were massive. And, uh, and it was picking up and there was these, like, just these giant walls of water, just these big closeout sets would close out the entire bay. And there was a, there was a, a guy swimming and, and the Maori people just naturally, they're just, they're very physical, they're very strong. Uh, without going to the gym, they look like they, they live in the gym, the big muscles. And, and there's a guy next to me, he's obviously inebriated and he's in a rip getting sucked towards the rocks. And so... The, uh, they call it the rubber ducky, but it's the, it's the surf rescue boat. And uh, came out and they, they couldn't go near the rocks because the, you know, the waves would smash the boat into the rocks. And so they, they threw a, a, a life ring with a rope on it out to this guy and he pushed it away. Saying, ah, I'm too, too much pride, too proud to, to rescue it. And I'm seeing these waves come in and I yelled out to him, mate, grab the life ring. So they, they pulled it back in, they got it and they threw it out again. This time it landed right almost on top of him and he pushed it away again and said, I'm fine, I'm fine. And he's going underwater and he's coming out and I see this set coming and, uh, and finally they threw it out a third time. He pushed it away a third time and then the, the guys in the boat, they just had to tramp it to try not to, so the boat wouldn't capsize as this massive wave broke and I just saw the wave and I had to go under, I get pummeled, I come up, I look and uh, we just saw the, you know, the white water spraying all over the rocks. I don't see him anymore. About three days later, they find his body washed up on a beach about a, uh, a mile and a half down the coast. He drowned. Now, some people say, well, I just think, you know, I just think we should blame it on the lifeguards. I can't believe those lifeguard people made him drown. Lifeguard people didn't make him drown. The lifeguard people threw out the lifesaver again and again and again. He drowned because of his rejection of the provision of a lifesaver ring. God doesn't send people to hell. People send themselves here when they continually reject the lifesaver that was thrown out, Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, God will chase you to death's door. God will chase you to your hospital bed. God will chase you while you're, while you're struggling to take a breath because of the emphysema or this cancer in your. God will chase you to your last dying breath to throw out that life vest, to throw out that, that lifesaver, to say, accept Jesus Christ, accept my son. God doesn't send people. We send ourselves. Hell was never created for human habitation. The hell was created for the devil and for his angels. But can I tell you, hell is real. There is a hell how do you know hell is real because when I look at what Jesus went through to die for us on the cross hell must be pretty bad for God to be so victimized so brutalized so beaten that he would be crucified there must be something terrifying that he for him to go through all of that he must be saving us from something can I just tell you God is wanting to raise up a generation your assignment your assignment and your identity are linked that, that before you were born I knew you before you were born I sanctified you and I ordained you as a prophet to the nations that there is a purpose that precedes your birth. You, 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 this whole life, what makes this life exciting is discovering the God gifts, the God talents, the God abilities. When I was a mechanical engineer, man, I'm telling you, I, it, it, thank God I left because people would die because I hated what I did. I, I mean, I just felt like something died on the inside of me. 
I'm like, I'm looking at schematics and I'm building stuff out of steel that's getting shipped overseas to turn into cars and boats. And, and I'm thinking, this is it. This is, and I love to entertain. I thought that all that's going to have to die. And then I'm sitting in church. And as I'm in church, I, I, they have a young guy preaching. And I hear this, this thing on the inside of me say, Yerks, you could do that. And I'm like, oh, I couldn't do that. And I hear it again, Yerks, you could do that. So I went up to Pastor Wes Beavis. Uh, you know, at the end, end of the service, I said, Pastor Wes, this is going to sound crazy, but I kind of feel like maybe I'm meant to be a preacher. And I don't forget, he put his hand on my shoulder. He says, Jurgs, you're going to be a preacher. You're going to be a preacher. Was within six months, I handed in my resignation. I went to Bible college. My dad disowned me because I went to Bible college. But I just knew that, I, that, that just, just, just being an engineer, while that was a good thing, while there was an honorable thing, I knew that there was gifts and talents on the inside of me that God had put in there that, that, that would die. And so, you know, I went from being the class clown at school to within a couple of years, graduating Bible college, being invited back to my high school to speak. And I've got to tell you, the same jokes that I told in school that I was taken to the headmaster for being disruptive. I mean, my school report was terrible. My school report when I started high school was Jürgen is a very, very bright and conscientious student. However, he is easily distracted. This is affecting his grades. The next year, it says that, you know, Jürgen's grades are slipping because he is easily distracted. The next, the next, the next report I got was Jürgen is constantly being distracted distracted and this is affecting his grades but in my final year of high school I reached the pinnacle in the final year of high school I triumphed no longer did it say that Jürgen is easily distracted no longer did it say that Jürgen is constantly distracted no my school report says Jürgen constantly distracts others and uh, but here I was a couple of years later I'm Preaching in the school, telling the same jokes. And the teachers that sent me out of the class from disrupting and making everyone laugh, are laughing and clapping. And then when I finished speaking, they came and they put a check in my hand. I'm like, I could get used to this. I haven't changed the, changed the jokes and, 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 you know, people coming to, it was crazy. Can I just tell you, there's something that God's put on the inside of you. There are skill sets and abilities and, and what church is all about is a body. And in this body, you're, you're meant to grow, you're meant to develop. How many people know that everything grows together in your body? Come on, somebody. How many people know that if your eyes didn't grow from the time, they would fall out of your head? But your eyes grow, your ears grow. Unfortunately, apparently the ears don't stop growing, but anyway, uh, and then hair, hair, hair doesn't fall out. I've discovered hair doesn't fall out. Just like, you know, here when people retire, they move to warmer climates. I've discovered that for whatever reason, hair leaves the head and just relocates to ears, eyebrows, nose, neck, back. Ew. It just relo it doesn't fall out, it just relocates. It's like, let's go, let's go relocate ourselves to a warmer climate. I like the back here. It's nice. I don't know what it is. Anyway, it goes back there. And so I don't even know how I got onto that, but it's, I'm trying to preach about it. Anyway, in the body. That's what I was on. In the body. Everyone say identity. Can I tell you, God wants to show you who you really are. He wants to show you why. One of the great tragedies, one of the great tragedies is we have a why not generation. A why not generation? They're going out boozing. Why not? They're going out getting stoned. Why not? They're jumping into bed with this one, this one, this one, because it's a why not generation. We have a why not generation because they've never discovered a why. Can I tell you there is a why for your what? There is a why for your when. There is a why for your when. When you were born, 
there was a why for your when. See, there are two great days in every human being's life. Two great days. Day number one is the day you were born. That's the first great day in every human being's life. But can I tell you, there is a second, even more powerful. Two great days in every human being's life. Day number one is the day you were born. Day number two is the day you discover why. The day you discover why. I got to tell you, God, you may, you may have been told, I was told I was in accident, but I'm telling you, there are no accidents with heaven. There are no accidents with God. God says, before you were born, I ordained you. I sanctified you as a prophet to the nations. Purpose precedes birth. And the third one, assignment precedes awareness. You may not be in a, aware right now, but there is an assignment from heaven just, just hovering over your head. That's why it is so important to be in DNA. That's why it's so important to get into some of these courses that we have because what you're going to discover is you're going to discover who you really are. See, see, we, we have an identity issue. For, for example, when I meet someone, they say, hey, what's your name? I say, my name's Jürgen. And then what is it, Berger? No, Jürgen. Jaeger? No, you, and, you know, and so, you know, it's, just, it's just a little thing. The next question that people ask after they, the, after they introduce yourself is they ask you, hey, Jürgen, what do you do? Because they're trying to figure out who you are. And the world lives in you are what you do. Satan tries this on Jesus. Jesus being water baptized. He comes up out of the water. The heavens open. The Holy Ghost descends like a dove, rests on Jesus. And God speaks from heaven and says, You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus goes out into the wilderness having that, that beautiful affirmation from his heavenly father, you're my son in whom I'm well. He hasn't done anything yet. He hasn't done a miracle. He hasn't preached a sermon. He hasn't raised the dead. He hasn't done anything. Because can I tell you, God's love and affirmation for you is not based on your performance. It's based on your person. It's based on your position. Your position is that you are a son, that you are a daughter, that you are a child of God. Whether you're a good child or a bad, does not change the fact that you are his child. I love my kids when they're good and I love my kids when they're bad and I love my kids when they're downright rotten. Now I want to strangle them, but I still love them because they're my kids. My affection and love towards them does not change based on their performance. It's all about their relationship. They are my kids. But the, but the world that we live in doesn't operate like that. So the spirit of the devil immediately comes to Jesus and says, if you're the son of God, Command that these stones become bread. In other words, get to a place where your identity is shaped by what you do. Because then I can, because if, if I can get you on that cycle, I've got you. If I can get you on that treadmill, I've got you. Because then when you don't do, then when you fail, I can label you failure. I can tell you, you are a failure, but you are not a fa failure is not a position. Failure is not an identity. It's an event. I said failure is an event. It is not, as a, it is not a position. Can I tell you the first time you tried to walk, you failed. The first time you tried to stand up, you failed. In fact, pretty much anything you tried to do the first time, you failed. We fail forward. We fail. Come on, somebody. It's part of the, but the devil wants to get you into a place where, where he can label you.
Don't go there with the devil. Don't let your identity be shaped by what you, you may be an accountant, but there's something more. Oh, devil, don't just think that that's who I am. That's what I do, but that's not who I am. Let me tell you, maybe you're a businessman, businesswoman. Maybe you're a housewife. Don't let the devil say, well, you're just a housewife. You're just a businessman. You're just a woman. Because he knows if he can get you to base your identity on what you do, he's got you. He's got you in his little rat trap and he can silence you and he can reduce you. Proverbs 20 verse 8 says this. Proverbs 20 verse 8 says this. It says, a king who sits on the throne of judgment scatters all evil with his eyes. Now just just watch this. A king who sits, not a king who stands, a king who sits on the throne of judgment He walks in, here are the guilty, here are the whatever in front of him. And he just sits on his throne. He doesn't open his mouth. He doesn't utter a word. But just one glance of him seated on that throne is powerful, so powerful that it dispels evil from in front of him. That a king who sits on the throne of judgment scatters all evil just with his eyes. Just as he's look, evil begins to scramble. Evil like cockroaches when you, the light is exposed begin to run to hide themselves, begin to run for cover. Can I just tell you that king would not have that authority if he was standing, ranting and raving and screaming and flailing his arms people would say he has lost authority but he sits on the throne he does not even open his mouth the devil wants you to live in a place where he wants you living out of performance living out of living out of what you do is who you are can I tell you it's not what you do it's where you're seated it is where you're seated you know when, when we first got to Oxford Falls in Sydney I love prayer. Nothing shifts without prayer. Tonight, I'm going to teach one of the most powerful messages on prayer in the Bible. If you've got things in your world that need to shift, you need to come back tonight, 5 p.m. I'm telling you, I'm going to rock your world because the message rocked me and it continues to rock me. It is like a stone in my shoe. Come, I'm going to teach you how to shift things. Power shifting tonight is going to happen in this place, 5 p.m. But, 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 but listen to me. And so the, 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 the devil knows if he can just keep you in that place, if he can keep you flailing your arms, we get to for falls. I love prayer. I believe in prayer. And so so I would pray till I had no voice left. I would pray. And when I would pray, I would pray like this. And and I would pray for an hour like this. And I'd have nothing left in the tank. And then one time in the prayer meeting, Pastor Leanne says to me, she goes, wow, have you ever seen Pastor Phil pray? I'm like, I've I've seen him pray. I've seen him pray all the time. She goes, he never raises his voice. I'm like, what are you saying? She goes, nothing. I said, are you having a... (laughs) Well, you just say it. Well, you're just going, and you know, and so anyway, she said, she, she, I'm, 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 and so I'm just, you know, and and so so I noticed Pastor Phil, he's just kind of, he's just kind of walking up and down on the stage. He doesn't doesn't lift his voice. He doesn't raise his voice. He doesn't spit on people. I spit on everybody, and and then um, when they complain, I just sit, you know, just rub it in your eyes. Maybe you'll see, and you know, like Jesus did. And but you know, and and but. But Pastor Phil, he's just like, yeah, you know, power of God, she can get out, and he's just, you know, and God, touching the city, touching this person. And, and I, it was, he was just so relaxed. I wasn't relaxed. And the truth was, the reason he was relaxed is because he knew who he was. He knew where he was seated. Can I just tell you in Ephesians, the Bible says that you and I are seated in Christ. Ephesians 2 verse 4, you and I are seated in Christ. Everyone say in Christ. 
Say, that's where I'm seated. Bump the person next to you say, I'm seated in heavenly places. The Bible says you and I are seated in Christ in the heavenly places. Watch this. Far above. Every principality and power, every throne and every dominion, every name that is named. I was wrestling with the devil like he was a foe that was on equal footing, on equal ground. I thought that the devil and I were on equal turf, on equal territory, and I had to fight him. And if I wasn't you know, using my energy, then, then you know, he would kind of be advancing. But then, but then I began to see Pastor Phil, he was praying from a high, he was praying from an elevator. Can I just tell you that, that you know, Mr. Ackenhausen over here would tell you this. Some of our, some of our military people would tell you this. Whenever, whenever you go into war, the best thing you can do is, is, first of all, send in air power. Send in airstrikes. Take out enemy strongholds. Take out the, the manufacturing plants for their missiles, for their weapons. Take out, you know, their defense shields. Take out those places and then send in the ground troops. It's, it's always air power. God has positioned you in a place of air power. Who are you? You are a son. You are a daughter of the Most High God. Where are you seated? You are seated in Christ, in the heavenly places. What's your identity? You are a Christian. You are in Christ and Christ is in you. You are in Him and He is in you. He wants to have His expression through your life. He wants to have His expression. The same power, Romans 8, 11, that raised Christ from the dead is the same power at work on the inside of you. That power operates through you. But you know what? Sometimes we pray from a place where we're Think we're defeated. We pray from a place where we think the devil is more powerful, or we think that we're praying from a place where the devil is on equal footing. He ain't on equal footing. You are elevated above him, not because of your performance, not because of your holiness, not because of your righteousness, not because of your church attendance, not because of your quiet times or your Bible reading. You are elevated because of what Jesus did 2,000 years ago on a cross. He rescued you and I from hell, from death, from shame, from condemnation, from guilt. He rescued us and he has seated us in him. When you pray, when you speak when you bind the devil you are looking down on the devil you're looking down on principalities you've been elevated you don't need to raise your voice I said you don't need to raise your voice this is what Jesus said on the same verse he said I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven if I give if I give someone the keys to my car I'm giving them permission to operate the machinery that drives my car Jesus says, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. I'm giving you permission. I'm giving you authority to operate the machinery of heaven. The Bible says there was war in heaven. God has given you the keys. He's given you and I the keys. He says, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. In other words, heaven will back you up. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Heaven will back you up. You don't have to pray from desperation. So many Christians wonder why God doesn't answer their prayers because they've never, they've never been exposed to this kind of teaching. We've been told that we're worms, that we're, that we're, that we're dust, that we're, that we're sinners, and, and absolutely we all, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But don't tell me that I'm just a sinner. Oh, no, no, no. I, I read my Bible, my friend. I've discovered that I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Oh, that's a little bit arrogant. No, 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 it's not arrogant. That's just truth. That's just fact. And it's not based on my performance. I can't brag about me. The Apostle Paul says, God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ by whom I have been crucified to the world and the world has been crucified to me. It is no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who lives me and gave himself for me. I am, you are the righteousness of God. 
How righteous is God? Perfect. You are perfect. Oh, no, I'm not perfect. You don't know what I did last night, Pastor. You are perfect. Don't let the devil get you on the treadmill of performance. You are perfect not by what you have done. You're perfect by what He has done on the cross. His perfection was given to you and your imperfection was put upon Him. That's why we worship. That's why we worship. We've had people say, well, you know, we don't like this, you know, this this church, C3. If you just kind of tone down, everyone's jumping up and down, lifting their hands, speaking another language. I ain't toning it down. I'm telling you, if anything, I'm toning it up. Because the more I look at what Jesus did for me on the cross, I'm telling you, the more enthusiastic, the more passionate, the more crazy I want to get up in here. Come on, somebody. Because of what, when you realize what he's done, you are seated in Christ. When you pray, sit in that place. So many Christians pray from a, a place and they wonder why their prayers, because they come, God, we are just a worm. And, and we think that God answers prayers of sincerity. Now listen to me, I know I'm going to offend you, but this is a good offense. This, this is a good thing. How, how, how do I handle offense? It's simple, build a bridge, get over it. Nowhere in the Bible does the Bible say that God answers the prayer of the sincerity. And we, 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 we pray this prayer, and it's this horrible four-letter word, and I hate, oh, I hate it. it makes me want to, anyway, it's the word just. Lord, we just come, and we just ask that, Lord, you would just, and we just ask that just, that you would just, just, and just, and you would just, you know, like, like God's like, no, I'm not answering prayer, what? Oh, okay, well, if you just, what? Just, okay, well, I'll, well as long as it's just, all right, well, I wasn't going to answer, but because it's just, Listen, God, 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 is not, God is not indifferent. God is not ignorant. God is not callous. He's not hard. He's not capricious. He wants to answer your prayers. But the devil has deceived a generation of church into believing that, that, that putting on false humility, going before God and telling him that Jesus failed on the cross, that I'm still just a filthy sinner and I'm still undeserving of any of the benefits. I'm still undeserving of heaven answering my prayers that somehow that pleases God. That doesn't please God. Read your Bible. The Bible says it is by faith. It, with Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Hebrews 11 verse 6. For those who come to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. The Bible says in James chapter 5, If anyone you is sick, let him call for the elders of the church to anoint him with oil and to pray over him. And the prayer of faith will save the sick. Not the prayer of sincerity. The prayer of faith will save the sick. The prayer of faith. Can I tell you, God is waiting on the other side. But, but if you come groveling your prayers will limp and your prayers will struggle because you don't realize you are praying praying from a place of ignorance you know Hosea 4 6 says my people are destroyed from a lack of knowledge we think that God should be really impressed oh Lord God look look at how much of a worm I am look I, I I'm telling you how pathetic I am God's like you're not pathetic you're priceless you're the only copy of you walking around seven billion people and there's only one you. Do you know what that makes you? That makes you an original. The, 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 the original Mona Lisa is priceless. You can't put a price. You, you're more, you are an original work of art. There is no other you. Don't come groveling to God. You are a child of the Most High God. He redeemed you with the precious blood of His Son. How valuable are you? You are the value of the Son of God coming and hanging on a cross. Where are you seated? You are seated in Christ, in the heavenly places, far above every principality, every power, 
power, every throne, every dominion, every name that is named. When you pray, pray from that seated position. Pray, pray and let the devil know you know who you is, devil. Devil, I know who I is. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting on this throne. I'm sitting. Sometimes you just got to get some black on. Come on, somebody. And, and you just got to sit down there. And you got to learn how to pray from that position. Devil, right now I declare in the name of Jesus, you are bound off my family. You is bound off my finances. You is bound off my kids. You are bound off my marriage. You are bound off my head. You are bound off my body. You are bound, devil. I know who I am. I know who I am. I've been redeemed. I still didn't get to my points, but anyway, forgive me. Come on, if you believe that, give God a shout today. Just close your eyes, bow your heads. I feel the power of God. Just do this as you close your eyes and bow your heads. Just turn your palms towards heaven in front of you. Because we live in a broken world. We live in a dysfunctional world. Maybe many of you, this is the first time you've heard this. Don't live in the place. Don't let the devil, the first temptation of Christ was the devil trying to bring Jesus into a place where he is what he does. Because if the devil can get you there when you don't do, he's the first to come and condemn. Oh, you said you were going to, but you didn't turn up. Oh, you said you were going to, but you didn't. You made a vow to God. You'd get up every morning at 6 a.m. and pray, but you missed this morning. And you caught, you're just a, and don't, don't let the devil get you there. Your, your position your worth, your value, your identity, who you are is not based on what you do. What you do flows out of who you are, but it does not define who you are. Who you are is whose you are. You are a child of the Most High God. Your life was so precious. Your life was so valuable that Jesus left heaven. And the Bible says in the book of Hebrews that Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, gladly endured the cross, despising the shame. What possible joy could Jesus have of going to the cross to be crucified? I've got to tell you, it was the joy of knowing that you would be able to have fellowship with him, that you would be able to have communion with him, that you would be in him and he would be in you, that that you would be in eternity, that you would be in heaven, and that right here on earth that he would come and live and express his life through you. You're a child of the Most High God. You're not junk. You're not an accident. Don't let the devil tell you you, you you are your past. You've had an abortion. Therefore, God is angry with you. Load of rubbish. Jesus hung on a cross to wash away every sin. Oh, not my sin, the devil will say to you. What a load of rubbish. He's washed away all your sin. Well, I murdered somebody. He's washed away that. Well, I, I he washed that away. Well, I committed. He washed that away. He washed away every single sin. You are no longer sinful. You are now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, not based on what you did, but based on what Jesus did on the cross. Jesus forever be praised. All glory, all honor to Him. No wonder all of heaven falls before Him in worship. What an extraordinary God. You are a son. You are a daughter of the Most High God. But can I tell you, there are people right now who need to respond. There are people right now, and you need to give your life to Christ. I'm telling you, I did this on a beach 28 years ago 
when I gave my life to Jesus, oh man, I had no idea what, what I was doing except that I knew I needed to make a change. I knew I hit a crossroad. I knew I needed God in my life. And 28 years later, I am telling you, I am still wowed. I am still wooed. I am still blown away by the awesomeness of this Jesus, by what he's doing. And he ain't finished with me yet. He's still working in me. Can I tell you? Give God your heart. Give God your life. If you're here and you're away from God, come back to Him today. If you're here and you're far from God, come close to Him today. If you're here and you've never fully surrendered, you've never surrendered or fully surrendered, completely surrendered your life to God, do it today. You've got nothing to lose and you've got everything to gain. He's just that awesome. So if that's you this morning, if I'm talking about you this morning, you're away from God, you're far from God, you've never surrendered to God or never surrendered completely to God, and you know you need to do that. Well, every head is bowed, every eye closed. Quickly raise your hand and say, Pastor, that's me. And I'll see your hand and I'll pray for you. Who are those ones? Quickly, just lift your hand up high and I'd love to pray for you. Thank you in there.